All right, moving forward this morning then, just want to remind you that our goal is to become a great church for vulnerable children and the families who care for them. This today is our second and our biannual focus on caring for vulnerable children. We, we looked at it back in February and then we're looking at it again today. And it may feel like we just covered the su- subject. It's like, isn't like every other time Ryan preaches is about vulnerable children? Like, kind of, all right? Uh, but we talk about it so much because we believe that it is so important. It is important to us in our community. It is important to the lives of those children and those families who are caring for those children. And it is important to the heart of the core of what God is doing in the world, we believe. That is why we focus on it. That is why you're hearing about this again. And that is why you will continue to hear about it over and over as long as you are here in this community. Because we see what's going on in our world. Once again, we realize that last year in Indiana, one in six babies born in the state of Indiana was born with drugs in their system. One in six we recognize the reality that around the world, 20, an estimated 26 million children are experiencing life without either parent in the home with them as orphans. We realize that in our community, 41% of South Bend third graders are failing reading proficiency. Already by third grade, they're already not reading at grade level. And we realize the statistics show us that those not reading at proficiency by third grade level are statistically 13 times less likely to graduate high school down the road when all is said and done. And we realize those who fail to graduate high school are 65% more likely to end up in prison. And we recognize that as early as third grade and younger, our children are already in very vulnerable spots as far as not just where they're at now, but the rest of their life and future generations. We want to be a church that believes that caring for these children and working to address the systems that are harming them is not something that is distant and out of reach. We can do something, and as a church, we must. Last February, we focused in on foster care and adoption and how we could take steps both to uh, step into foster care and adoption ourselves and to make foster care and adoption something that's possible for other people. And I am so proud of this church community because I have seen so much goodness come out of you. I've seen so much that we've been able to walk in together and just taking exploratory steps into this, if not further action. I've seen families already that are currently, as we speak, walking through steps to become foster parents. I've seen several families in our church that have adopted children or are in the process just since last February even. There's been a handful of South Bend City Church neighbors that have started and completed their training as CASAs, which are court-appointed advocates that go into courtrooms and speak on behalf of children in the most vulnerable situations in our community. Y'all are stepping up and getting stuff done. Uh, I've seen uh, Nicole and Sean Kelly, who uh, own and run Temper Grill and Granger. By the way, if there's any better restaurant anywhere, like, let me know about it, because I don't know if there is. It's amazing. But Nicole and Sean have said, hey, we don't know what we can contribute, but what we can contribute to foster care and adoption is we can contribute funding. And so Nicole has been hosting fundraisers where the proceeds from the fundraisers go towards NIAP, one of the local amazing foster care agencies, uh, and providing resources for foster families and foster children. Next Sunday night, she is hosting a women in business uh, event that all the proceeds are going towards Christmas gifts for children that are in foster care through NIAP. It's awesome. If you're interested in that, if that sounds like something that's interesting to you, you can hit up their Facebook page 
uh, at Temper Grill and find out more information about that event. But people, time and time again, sacrificing and showing creativity of saying, how can I, in my situation, with what I have to offer, with what my resources are, how can I contribute to caring for vulnerable children in our community? And I am so thankful and so impressed with that. The movement has begun for us. The reason we get so excited and the reason we keep having these conversations, though, is because we believe that it is at the core of God's work in the world. And I want us to head first back to looking at this as we see in James chapter 1. This is the verse we looked at way back in February. This is the thing that kicked things off for us. I just want to return to it to remind us why we do what we do. James says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. So religion here is our efforts to honor God's with our actions, right? Religion is the things that we do to try to show God that we care about him, to try to show God that we honor him, to try to show God that we love him. It's the actions that we take. And here he's saying, hey, the things I want you to do, if you, if you know who I am, if you care about who I am, and you want to, to honor me in ways that, that, are, that fit with who I am and, and what I'm doing, the way to do that is by caring for vulnerable people in this world, especially vulnerable children. And there's an acknowledgement in here, right? And the acknowledgement is that we have a tendency to try to honor God with actions that are not connected to the core of his work in the world, right? Sometimes we try to honor God, but we go about doing things to try to honor God that are really more about what we want to do than about what God looks for from us. It's more about who we are than about who God is. So picture this, Christmas is coming up. Picture that I go out and I buy my wife World Cup tickets. I'm a big soccer fan, right? World Cup tickets are awesome. There's perhaps not a better present in the entire world than World Cup tickets, <laughs> right? And they're expensive too. So if I buy her World Cup tickets, I am making a great sacrifice for her, right? I am doing something big. I am doing something grand. And if I go out and I buy her World Cup tickets because I care about her so much that she deserves to have someone sacrifice for her, she's going to take those World Cup tickets and she's going to say, what are you doing? Do you know who I am? This is not me, right? If I buy her World Cup tickets, it says more about me and what I want than it says about her and honoring her. If I want to honor her, I would not buy her World Cup tickets. I'd buy her like a membership to Purple Porch Co-op or something like that, right? Like that's her speed, right? And the reality is this, is that to honor somebody, to honor someone requires us to embrace their values in the midst of that. And that's what God's saying here, is that if we want to honor him with our actions, we have to do it in a way that embraces who he is, what he's doing, not just to the types of things we want to be doing or how we want it to look. And this verse is not standing alone. This verse actually runs in the midst of a theme that exists all throughout the scripture, especially picking up a passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And in this passage, God is talking, and he's talking about how his people, the Hebrew people, how his people are trying to get his attention and trying to, to have him uh, walk with them and heal them from the things that they're facing. And so this is what God's explanation of how he's processing the working with his people is going. He says this, day after day, my people seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. 
as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just and fair decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. We have fasted, they say. Have you not seen it? And we have humbled ourselves. Have you not noticed? So here God is talking about all the religious efforts of the people. There are actions, there are things that they're doing to try to show God that they care. There are things that they're doing to try to honor God, uh, to, to honestly, to get on God's good side. And, and they start talking about these religious things. So they start talking about fasting. That's kind of like the core uh, picture here. Fasting is not something that is as common a practice today as it was then, but we can substitute fasting as these religious things that we do. And so they're, hey God, have you not noticed we're doing some super religious stuff? <laughs> yeah, we're being really religious -y. You should be proud of us, is what they're saying. God, have you noticed that we're fasting? God, have you noticed that I've been going to church a lot lately? God, have you been noticed that I like cut a tithe check the other day? Have you been noticing, God, that I've been praying? God, I've been doing all this stuff. Are you not entertained? Is this, is this not good enough for you? Why are you not happy with this, God? We are doing stuff. God goes on. Yet on the day of your fasting, so he's like, yeah, you're doing that, but when you're doing that, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please the rest of the day and exploit all of your workers. You fast, but you're fasting and, and quarreling and strife and arguments and in striking each other with the wicked fists. It's the worst kind of fists. <laughs> and you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only one day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? He's like, yeah, you're doing all this stuff. You're doing all this stuff, but you're doing all this religious -y stuff and then not doing anything that I care about. You're taking all of these religious actions, but then you're being horrible to each other. You're exploiting your workers. You're using your power in ways that is unhealthy. You're ignoring the pain of those who are going through difficult times. You're not caring for the vulnerable in your communities. Is that what you think I want? Is that, is like, really, like, really? That's it? That's what you think I'm going for here? It's like you're trying to make it look like you're doing something, but you're really doing nothing. My, one of my daughters, when she played soccer, uh, when she was little, uh, it was really cute, because uh, she, she had trouble like, kind of getting in there and participating. And I was like, Soph, you got to get in there, kid. You got to get in there and, and really get the ball, you know? And, and she would say, okay, dad. And she'd run out there and she would put this look on her face. Like she was trying really hard. Like, you know, and she would, she would literally like extra move her arms and legs, but she was still like five yards away from anything going on in the field. They're just like running around the outside, like trying to look really, really like she was trying hard. She's since moved on from that, thank God. <laughs> But for her, it's like, no, I don't want you to look like you're trying hard. I just want you to engage in the things that are going on. But God's saying, we spend so much time trying to look like we're engaged, but we're actually staying on the outside of the work that he's doing in the world without ever really getting in there and connecting. Is that what you think I want, he says. He goes on. But isn't this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? Isn't this what I want? To loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke. The yoke is uh, the apparatus by which slaves carry their burden. 
to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, when you do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. What are the things I want, God says? What I want is you to care for others like I do. I want you to feed those who are hungry. I want you to provide for those who are poor. I want you to act on behalf of those who do not have power. These are the things that I am doing. These are the things that I want from you. This is what I need you to participate in, says God. And the point here is that if we embrace the kingdom of God in the world, we will show it by caring for our neighbors, especially those most vulnerable. As followers of Jesus, we have to understand that we must care for children in need. There's a second movement that I want us to consider this morning, and that's this. It's this idea that we sometimes embrace calls to compassion, but build artificial walls that keep us from extending it to everyone. So we might be sitting here today and say like, yeah, yeah, we should care for people. We should take care of people around us. We should extend kindness to those who are hurting. We should care for vulnerable children. We should do those things. But sometimes we don't realize that we have artificial walls in place that decide who that applies to and who it doesn't apply to. Sometimes we have artificial walls we build that decides who is our responsibility and who is somebody else's responsibility or their own responsibility. We have these walls. I was a philosophy major and I love, love thought experiments. There's one that kind of brings this home to us, uh, the nature of us building artificial walls. Uh, in 1971, it was put forward by the philosopher Peter Singer, and it's known as the pond experiment. I'm adjusting it a little bit for our community. But basically what he says is this. Imagine that there is a person walking along the road one day, and they come across a shallow pond. And as they come across a shallow pond, they see that there is a child out in that shallow pond who is flailing around and drowning, who is afraid for their life. And as this person comes upon the pond and they come upon the child in the pond, they say, I should probably do something about that. I think we would probably agree with their, their impulse there, right? But then they think to themselves, ah, I just went to the store and I just got these $300 designer jeans. And if I go out there into that pond, I'm going to get my jeans all ruined. And they think to themselves, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to like keep walking because I don't want to mess up my jeans. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. How do we feel about this person right now? Huh? <laughs> all right. Way down, right? I wish we had more thumbs. We, we all can agree that that is horrible moral behavior. He could have saved a child's life for only $300 and chose not to. So the thought experiment goes on. A person comes home from work after a long day of work. And they going through the mail. And they open their mail. And there's a letter from a very reputable 
uh, nonprofit agency that does work in other communities around the world. And they tell them that there is a, uh, there is a village they are working with and this village is having all of their children die just because they don't have access to a certain medicine. But for $100, for just $100 or $20 a person, you can ensure that the medicine goes to save the lives of five children in the village. Five children's lives will be saved for just $100. And the person takes the letter and they say, oh, not today. And they put it in the trash can. They move on with life and go get dinner. All right, I'm not going to do it, but if we did thumbs up and thumbs down, there probably would be different answers on this one, right? Because we're all probably dealing with the conflict of like, I've thrown that letter away. I've done it. I've thrown it away. I know I've thrown it away. Yet we felt horribly about the person who for $300 could save a life and didn't. And yet we don't feel as horribly about a person who could have saved five lives for only $100. Why? Why? Well, there's disclaimer. This topic then has been like written and discussed in philosophy for decades since then. And there's all sorts of uh, thoughts and answers and it's not clean cut. It is not clear cut. It is very complicated. But at, at the root of it is what we can acknowledge is in our feelings and in our thoughts, we sometimes form these invisible walls about who, what applies to these walls that keep us apart. Sometimes the walls is an invisible wall of location, right? It just feels different if it's somebody in our city or somebody we're passing on the street than it does some random person in some other country around the world. It just feels different. We can be honest that it feels different. Maybe it's different about uh, we have walls of relationship or family. It's different if it's our own kid versus somebody else's kid. I'm not going to let my kid go through that, but if it's somebody else's kid, like, I don't know, maybe, right? Sometimes it's people groups that keep us, these invisible walls that keep us from extending our compassion that we feel called to. Sometimes it's things like nationality or citizenship that keep us from that. But God is constantly correcting our impulse to exclude others from our care for them. We see it all throughout the scripture. Deuteronomy 10, 19. God is talking to his people in the midst of the law, in the midst of presenting all the ways that they should care for one another, all the ways that they should treat each other with kindness and compassion. In the midst of presenting all of that to them, he comes to them and he says this also. He says, you should also love the foreigner in your midst, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. He's not just saying people that come from another place. He's not just saying the person who needs an Airbnb. Right? He's not just talking about people from, from different locations. Being a foreigner meant not only were they not from here, but it meant that they were outside of your group. They were outside of your people. They were outside of your family. They were not in the group that people traditionally felt like they were responsible for. And he says, we should love them. We should care for them. He says it more often than this, again, in Leviticus 19. He says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. He says, 
not only love them and care for them, he says, but treat them as though they were native born. He says, these walls you're building that say you can have to connect to some people in some ways, but that doesn't apply to everybody, those walls don't really exist. Treat people as though they're not on the outside of your walls because the walls are fake anyway. Leviticus 27, 19. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Withholding justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. What do those groups have in common? They're all people who don't have anyone who has their back. The foreigner has left their family. The foreigner has left their people group. They have left their economic culture and their resources and anything that they might bring, they have left that behind to come into your world, to come into your circles. And they do not have all of their people with them. They are resourceless in the world. The fatherless children who do not have the families to take care of them, to provide for them anymore. The family groups who would normally stick up for you, who would normally feed you, who would normally provide you opportunities and security, they do not have that anymore. And the same with the widows, who when losing their husband, they also lose their means of survival. They're people who don't have people who are obligated to have their back when you draw false walls. God's saying, take down the walls. What he's saying here is when it comes to love and justice, we have no right to say, I have no responsibility to care for you. When it comes to justice and love, those who say, not my family, not my country, not my people, we are out of bounds. Those are not lines that God has. And we see this in the example of Jesus. In Mark 3, 31 through 35, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is saying, if you're going to come in here and talk about family, don't come in talking about something as hollow as genetics. Because family is so much more than the genes that we have inside. Family is a relationship between people within the kingdom of God. These are my family. Who are my mother and brothers? That's defined by relationship, not defined by genetics. Who are my fellow people? That's defined by relationship, not by nationality or documentation. We can see that in the story of the Good Samaritan. Who are my neighbors? That's defined by relationship, not defined by location. And so we look at the world and we look at the needs around us with this lens. And we see that there are more children, again, in foster care in Indiana than there are safe places for them to go. There are kids that literally just don't even have a safe place to be. We see that in Indiana, there are children who are literally or effectively orphaned 
by the opi opioid drug crisis around us. We recognize that internationally, there are millions of kids that are pushed to the margins and beyond merely due to physical challenges, many that they've had from birth, that find themselves on the outside of family and community. We see children in our own communities who at young ages are already left behind by our educational system with little hope of catching up to the level needed to thrive as adults. And realistically, realistically, maybe it's going to be really hard to make progress in these things. Man, these are some deeply rooted systems here, right? It's, there's no like quick fixes on these things. So realistically, maybe we're not able to get very far. Maybe we're not able to make a ton of difference in this situation. Maybe realistically, we don't have the tools to even make the best difference. Maybe we don't have the resources or the experience or the training or whatever to be able to, to, to produce healing in some of these difficult situations, maybe. But may we never withhold trying because someone didn't make it into our circle. May, th may that never be the reason. For children who are on the margins, who are outside of systems of support or inclusion, for children who will wonder if there's anyone left in the world who will have their back, if not the people of God, loved even when we were in our own exile, even when we were in our own wanderings, if not the people of God, then who can they have hope for? It is our responsibility. May we be a great church for vulnerable children and for each other as we care for them. So let's talk about action, shall we? Uh, there are some actions that we started last time, some challenges we put forward. One, it was a challenge just to consider, to consider foster care and adoption. And I put forward that challenge again, to consider foster care and adoption. Funny story, since last time I thought we were done, uh, but I preached myself into thinking about it again. <laughs> we thought about it again. We went and spent 24 hours in training classes and uh, getting, re-getting our license to be foster parents. And we walked through the process of becoming foster parents and we had a three-year-old boy we were spending some time with and we had the most beautiful uh, preemie baby that spent a week in our house. He was the most amazing thing in the world. And we got to the end of that week and we were like, we can't do this. We cannot do this anymore. We did it because we thought we had some extra capacity and we walked down that road and we realized we didn't. We realized that our mental health was not all that we thought it was. <laughs> we realized that our four-year-old needed more attention than we thought she did. And we after doing all that training, we stopped being foster parents again. This has all been in the last like six months. We like got in and we got out, right? I tell you this story to say it's okay if you can't do it. It's okay. I can't do it right now. And I just have to be honest about that. It's okay to not do it. What I want us to do is I want us to be people who think about it. People for whom it's not abnormal or crazy or some distant idea that if we at least think about it and, and walk into it, that's great. That's all we're saying. Well, how might you pray about it? 
So some of it's uh, this challenge of foster care and adoption is doing that. Some of it is walking alongside those in foster care and adoption. I had uh, somebody after the first gathering just walked up and said, hey, if somebody needs babysitting, like that's maybe how we can contribute is we can do some babysitting for people who are doing foster care and adoption. To which foster parents say, amen, right? Amen. Uh, so maybe it's that. Maybe it's... Uh, taking meals to a foster family right when the placement comes. There's all sorts of ways you can be involved in that. We are so blessed today. Once again, our good friends from NIAP, which is National Youth Advocacy Program, they are right on the other side of that curtain there, and they are there to talk to you about how you might be involved with foster care and adoption. You're not signing your life away. You're not signing on a dotted line. You're just asking questions. Jill is out there, and she's awesome. I encourage you to talk to her if you're interested. Uh, second, we started this call last time. It's for CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. CASAs are uh, adults that come alongside children and families in the difficult processes, right? When a child is removed from a home, uh, they go into this process where they're placed with a foster family or relatives uh, or uh, kinship care. They're placed in a situation outside the home. And then as the process goes through the courts, you have the judges who have their opinions on what's best. You have the DCS workers, the Department of Children's Service workers from the state, and they have their opinions on what's best. You have the biological family that has their opinions on what's best. You have the foster families who even well-intended have their opinion on what's best. But we need somebody to speak for the kids. We need somebody who comes with no agenda other than the well-being of the child, and that's what the CASA does. And if you have time to volunteer, if you have time, flexibility in your work schedule that you can every once in a while get away for a morning in court, if you have that kind of flexibility, being a CASA is a great way that you can contribute to the well-being of vulnerable children in our community. And Letty from St. Joe County CASA is right outside, and she would love to talk to you all if anybody is interested in that. CASAs. All right, we got some new stuff, though, and I am so excited about this. This whole process, when we start talking about foster care and adoption and volunteering and donating, there's just so much there. And sometimes as you walk into it, people are then like, okay, well, I might do adoption, but like, who do I even talk to? What agencies are good? How does it financially work out? Because it's kind of expensive. And I've found that I'm referring people like all over the place. Oh, here's some organization in Arkansas, and here's some like website here, and here's some resource over here. And just saying, it's really complicated to know what you're doing. And so as a church, we said, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to put forward the finances to make a, an independent web portal, an information portal just for South Bend and the surrounding area to say if anybody has any questions about foster care, adoption, volunteering, funding, any of that kind of stuff, you have a one-stop shop. So if you get out your phones for me, we're going to throw this up there. I want you to visit it right now if you can. We're launching today, EmbraceSouthBend.com. EmbraceSouthBend.com. It is one-stop shopping for information on any questions you may have or any resources you may need and how to take next steps in this topic, and we're thrilled. We're going to click through a little bit of what it is here. This is what Embrace South Bend is going to look like as you head, and it's going to have all sorts of information. It's going to show you, next slide, it's going to show you where you can learn more about becoming a foster adoptive parent if that was resonating with you. It's going to show you uh, how you can volunteer or be an advocate for children with CASA. The links are right there so you don't have to remember the name. It's going to show you how you can contribute funding if that's something you want to do to make a difference through writing checks so that other families who are capable of adopting can do that. You'll have links there. And then there's support. If you're already walking in foster care and adoption, we have some support links for you. And this is just the beginning. This is something we're going to continue to develop. 
and develop more and more resources so that being able to walk forward towards foster care and adoption is not some foreign, confusing, difficult thing, but it's something that's present and tangible. We're really excited about it. There's information on adoption, domestic and international adoption. Questions we get all the time is like, what agencies can I trust? So we vetted different agencies. We have three domestic adoption agencies that are in Indiana that are doing fantastic work that are highly rated. And we have three international adoption agencies. And as people are asking, how do we make this adoption work? Because sometimes adoption can cost twenty-five dollars to $35,000 to go through these adoption agencies. We're listing grants to easily find fundraising for your family, uh, grants for your family, and all the tax credit info so it's all in one place. Thank you so much for your contributions that make this type of thing possible. We're able to provide this not for our church, but for the entire community, thanks to your generosity as you give to the church. And I'm so excited about that. Couple last things I want to announce. Uh, two new opportunities, uh, one for giving and one for serving. And giving, as we were talking about, if you say, I'm not in a spot that I can open my home right now to vulnerable children. I'm not in a spot that I don't have time to volunteer as a CASA. My work schedule is too rigid. But I have resources that I can contribute. So Village to Village International is a nonprofit that's based out of Elkhart. It's started by Stacy and Matt Borst, who uh, Stacy is our children's director here. They're a part of the family here. Matt is uh, leading, along with Megan tonight, the high school tables. Uh, so this is coming out of people that are family here. Uh, they have this organization that it's like a GoFundMe for adopting, right? So you can click through pages and pages of families that say, I have the capacity to open my house. I just need help with the funding to make it happen. And if you have the funding but not the capacity to open your house, you all need to get together. Village to Village is the way to do that. I encourage you, go head over to Village to Village. You can do it through the Embrace South Bend page. Head over there. See if there's a family you might pray about contributing to help allow them to invite children to be a part of their family. The last option here, beyond foster care and adoption, we want to contribute to children that are in, that are in families, that they're cared for in families, that they're safe in families, but maybe they're vulnerable because of other dynamics and other systems that play in our city, such as the schooling that we, we mentioned and the, the difficulty with literacy, children that are already being left behind in our schools. And we recognize that if we're able to step up and volunteer our time to work with children, we might be able to help them to get back on track, which can help, help keep them and their future generations out of vulnerable places just through spending our time. I'm so thankful to introduce this morning one of our family members here at South Bend City Church, Kevin Hawkins. Kevin, you queue up. So Kevin leads his uh, family foundation, the Hawkins Family Foundation, and they have been working and partnering with South Bend Schools to launch a program that they've launched in Coquillard Primary uh, that is doing just that. It's getting there with the lives of kids and make a difference. Kevin, tell us what you got going on. Well, we have an organization. Well, can I just say something yeah. real quick? Can you join me in honoring this man of God? What an awesome message. Uh, we started uh, just this year the Hawkins Family Foundation, and our heart is to promote literacy with those kids that are underserved, uh, kindergartners through fifth graders. And you saw, you heard how stirring the uh, statistic is by the time the kids are in third grade. So what we're doing in partnership with Coquillard School, and hopefully this is our first of many schools in the area, is to have a literacy program one day a week 
three to five after school where we read with kids um, and we use comic books as our platform. All right. So comic books, superheroes, so we, we read with them for 20 minutes, we draw with them to stimulate their imagination, and we encourage them to write stories. And what we're looking for is for you to join us in that effort. Right now it's uh, full-time, well, full-time is one day a week, <laughs> is my wife, my daughter, and myself. We have 15 kids, and they all want some attention. You hear me? Mm. All right. So uh, we need folks to join with us. Our hope is that we'll have more volunteers than we have kids. And then guess what? We can have more kids. All right. And we can do some more. So um, I'll be at the back. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So Kevin's going to head out there. You can head over and talk to him afterwards. There's only for this first session, there's only 12 slots. But again, we're going to fill up like a waiting list for future uh, semesters. And if we know that we have people in waiting who are wanting to get into this, that will allow them down the road to be able to get into more schools and allow more children to participate. So we're really excited. You can talk to him. Even if you're not sure, you can sign on the dotted line. You can talk to him just for more information and figure it out from there. Sound good? All right. Can you stand with me? I am so thankful that we have a God who sees us. I'm thankful that we have a God who sees us in our joyful times, and then we have a God who sees us in our brokenness. I'm thankful that we have a God that no matter how bad things get, we never have to feel abandoned. May we be people that embrace the love of God and extend it to the others in the world. And may we never let any wall artificially get in the way of the love that God shows us and the love that we can extend to others. As you go this week, grace and peace be with you. Have a great week.